Welcome to Life Beat, and I'm your host, Chris Gast, Right to Life Commission's Director of Communication and Education. Switching it up today, joining us is our Legislative Director, Genevieve Marnin. Genevieve, welcome Hi. back. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a long time. It has been. Thank you. Yes. Well, we have Jen on today to talk about the budget, uh, but for good reasons, good reasons. Um, and later on, we're going to make fun of Javier Becerra. And we're going to talk about uh, some census data. But first, uh, the budget. So, Genevieve, the legislature has thankfully kept its pro-life majorities, um, or Republican majorities, rather. Um, and the leadership is doing an excellent job. So far, so good. I'm very excited to report that um, the budget that was just passed out of the House appropriations budget included some fabulous pearls for the unborn. And I would love to discuss, first of all, I want to take the time to thank Representative uh, Mary Whiteford for ushering through this DHHS budget, the Department of Health and Human Services, and to Representative Tom Elbert for his leadership as the Appropriations Chairman and making sure that these items uh, were in the budget. So I'm very excited, very pleased with both of those pro-life champions. Yeah, uh, elections have consequences, and when you elect great pro-life representatives, you get great pro-life focus. So the budget has a lot of, actually a lot of different things to talk about. Um, most of them, I think it's fair to say, are all centered around pregnancy help, um, and today is Pregnancy Center Awareness, yes. Pregnancy Resource Center Awareness Day in Michigan. The House passed a resolution yesterday, um, and today the pregnancy centers were out on the Capitol Lawn, about 30 of them. Did you get a chance to go out there? I did. It was a wonderful day. And I do think that this fabulous weather was God's way of saying, yes, these pregnancy resource centers deserve to be out here, deserve to have a beautiful day. And and I would be remiss if I did not put a shout out to Representative O'Malley for sponsoring the, uh, the Pregnancy Resource Center Day resolution, which he was the sponsor of that resolution. So yes, great day um, at the Capitol for that. But let's get into this budget. It's great. There's so many details. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Let's, how about if I start? You go uh, ahead. So uh, for the first time that I can recall in a budget, there is money set aside, $10 million actually, so a substantial amount of money set aside for marketing and advertising for infant adoptions. People are always hearing about adoptions out of the foster care system, which is important and necessary and good. But unfortunately, infant adoptions have been practically demonized in uh, some of the pop, uh, you know, popular culture. And mm -hmm. so this money will really go a long way to reduce that stigma for not only birth moms, but people who are trying, you know, people who are contemplating uh, placing a child for adoption. So I think that's a great, a great piece in the budget. And it mentions in there specifically promoting adoption as an alternative to abortion. Absolutely. Not promoting it to promote it. Yes. So that's really good. That's a, a huge thing and I don't think I've seen that before in the budget. But then we move on and there's specific helps to our pregnancy resource centers. Um, as people may or may not know, there are about 150 pregnancy centers that operate around the state and with no money from the from the state government, uh, they act uh, 
They do all this philanthropic work with charitable donations, and they do so much good. And A lot of small donors, a lot of small organizations where sometimes the board is the staff. Correct. But it goes from everything from a baby pantry that give out a few diapers mm-hmm. to full medical centers. Right. Uh, like the one in Grand Rapids who was featured today. Um, pregnancy he, Resource Center, shout out. A pregnancy, re- yeah. Used to be a janitor a little bit in there. Well, so I'll tell you that they some of them are now offering prenatal care, mm-hmm. pr- uh, pregnancy testing treatment, uh, STD testing and treatment, in addition to the counseling and the nurturing and the baby items, which are, it's just tremendous. So uh, millions of millions of dollars worth of products and services are provided through these pregnancy centers. And that's a huge benefit to not only the citizens of Michigan, but to the taxpayers, and of course the babies whose lives they save, and the mothers and fathers who are impacted by these PRCs. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a couple different ways they get the money through it. I saw that um, there is a maternal grant pilot program, so basically uh, two pilot programs in areas for promoting uh, women services they can find, referrals. Um, I saw, what was it? There was $3 million in there specifically for the pregnancy centers? I thought it was... Uh, I thought or was that $1.5 million? $1.5 million, $1.5 yeah, million. for the pregnancy We're doubling centers. their funding right now. Oh, right, right. <laughs> Got that, everybody? <laughs> um, and then I saw that there was uh, a Real Alternatives appropriation. So the Real Alternatives program, the state government was funding some pregnancy centers through this until Governor Whitmer line-item vetoed in the, was it the 2020 or the 2021 budget? 2021. 2020. Oh, 2020, yeah. yeah. Got rid of the Real Alternatives program, said, no, we're not going to fund pregnancy centers. So restore some of that. Um, and then the big thing that you talked about, the Title X and the Title V replacement. Was, yeah, that was a really, really interesting concept. Um, one of the things that uh, I was asked to provide was the funding streams for Planned Parenthood. And, of course, they are the, they're masters at getting all kinds of state and federal money in every kind of program there is. But one of their main areas of funding was through the Title X, which is the Federal Family Planning Program. And that family planning program, uh, when President Trump was in office, he put a rule, uh, the progressives called it the gag rule, and of course pro-lifers called it the protect life rule. Essentially it said if you are referring for or providing abortions, you don't get to take the Title X family planning money because in the family planning program, abortion is not to be used as a method of family planning. That's the law. That's the law. And it was being flouted and flaunted and basically ignored. And so when President Trump put that law in there, out of protest, practically, Planned Parenthood decided that abortion was more important to them than providing family planning services and products to poor women, and they removed themselves voluntarily from the Title X program, mostly throughout the country, including here in Michigan. So, uh, of course, when President Biden became president, he immediately is working on reversing that. And, of course, that will open the floodgates of funding through the states to Planned Parenthood again. So this, was, it, was it $60 million that they get na- national, nationally. On, on total nationally from Correct. Title X? Yeah. Yes, yes. So um, this is a very interesting concept is just don't take the money from the federal government. Say, you know what? We don't need your money. We'll fund it ourselves. 
So that's exactly what this is. So the Title X program, which is family planning, Title V, which is maternal and child maternal and child health, which does a lot of great things, but there's one plank in there that's about contraception and family planning. So the uh, the budget chairs decided that they're just going to say nope. We'll do it ourselves, and you don't get to give any of this money to places that perform abortions. So that's a huge, huge statement and a big change, and we're very excited about it. So if the federal government won't follow federal law, Michigan will follow federal law. There you go. <laughs> without the federal dollars. You know, Michigan's been a leader on a lot of things with regard to the pro-life uh, cause. So, right. yeah, very excited about that. And then also kind of tucked in there was uh, so vaccine, preventing against vaccine coercion. Of course, you know, some pro-life people have objections because all of the coronavirus vaccines that have been given emergency approval, um, two of them, uh, now the names are, I'm blanking. Uh, Pfizer, Pfizer and Moderna. And Moderna uh, utilized research uh, in the process that involved uh, the fetal H cell lines. Yeah, the HEK-293 yep. line. And then the... Um, the um, Johnson & Johnson. Johnson & Johnson vaccine, thank you, actually utilizes the cell line in production. So uh, people object, and so on the budget, um, a provision that you can't force people to take it, uh, or rather they won't allocate funding to force people to take it, and that um, you, know, you can't have the vaccine passport thing. Correct. Which you've been busy with lately ben, yeah, on a so related note. Yeah, there's a standalone bill to um, to ban the government from providing and incentivizing vaccine passports for public spaces. Now, this is just on the public side, not on the private sector. But, uh, but in the budget, it would also say, you know, you want the money? If you want that these departments want the money... They can't create, mandate, or utilize a vaccine passport. It's discriminatory. You know, uh, somebody doesn't choose to uh, get this vaccine. And again, I'm not anti-vaccine. If you want to get the vaccine, then get the vaccine. But I'm pro-informed consent. And I'm also, in, in order to have truly informed consent, that means you sometimes don't actually accept the medication that's being offered mm -hmm. because you choose not to. And you should have that right respected. Right. And then the last thing in the budget, uh, it's not a large amount, it's $100,000, but um, in 2008, Michigan voters, sadly, by a small margin, added an amendment to the state constitution allowing uh, killing human embryos for research purposes. And written in, and we've covered this in a previous episode of LifeBeat, written into that is a 14-day limit on research. So you can grow these human embryos for a total of 14 days um, post, uh, you know, post fertilization, uh, not counting, you know, when they're in, um, you know, cryogenically frozen, for example. But uh, and then you can't continue growing them outside the womb um, for research. But Genevieve. Even though embryonic stem cell research is, how many cures have resulted from that? I believe the answer to 4, that question is zero. No, zero. I believe it would be zero. Zero, it would be zero, yes. yes. The answer is zero, Alex. And But uh, we still got that economic and biotech revolution in the state, right? Correct, right, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah, we're just swimming in cash now. Um, 
no one's getting sick anymore and they're all going into work. Right. That was, you know, that was how they're, that's how we were going to have an economic revolution. They said people just wouldn't get sick anymore. They would, they'd be going into work all the time. But, but more to the <laughs> point, this is what's really interesting and why this is in the budget. And I, it, it's the reason why the 14 day rule was placed in our constitutional amendment was because at the time, the international regulatory agency mm-hmm. had a 14 day limit, an ethical limit on embryonic stem cell research but mostly because they couldn't grow them that long ethical ethical wink wink ethical yeah so so because researchers have now found ways to extend that life they are now uh planning this month to remove that 14-day limit and raise it up to 28 or 36 days of being able to grow a, a baby in a petri dish and experiment on it before killing it and I'll remind everybody who's listening, the fetal heartbeat can be detected as early as 21 days. i got to stop you there, Genevieve. You mean fetal pole cardiac activity. The fetal pole <laughs> cardiac activity, correct. So in other words, uh, you know, you're going to have a little pulse on the, on the blip on the screen there. But either way, it's, it's at what point then are we going to just be growing full, you know, hearts and whatnot fetal farming fetal farming yes correct so this would the budget would make sure that there is some enforcement to that because we know that now that they can do it the researchers university of michigan and others they're going to want to break their own constitutional amendment they will and i'm so glad that this is a proactive not only does it draw attention to this but it puts teeth in it and enforcement mm-hmm. and puts the money behind it. So you can't claim, well, we didn't have money for enforcement. Yes, you did. Here it is. So that's very exciting. Yep. So this is what you get when you have pro-life committee chair people, pro-life speaker in the Senate, same on the Senate side. Um, so that is great. And this is this is probably the best pro-life budget, you know, have, I don't know if we ever had a budget where there's there's, we've had budgets with specific pro-life priorities of, you know, shutting off funding to Planned Parenthood, um, trying to do some stuff with the, the embryonic stem cell research, but never this whole comprehensive, let's go at it and let's the, take a flag. I, I believe, to, to, to the best of my knowledge so far, this is the most pro-life budget we've had. And now, hopefully, the Senate side will keep all of the elements that are in this House budget and uh, duplicate them, and that's a hope for us. And as we work through the process, I'll be having conversations, of course, and then getting the governor to not line item veto these. Hopefully, she wants this money. Yeah. That's the challenge. It's a challenge. So getting it through all the process. And by the way, we don't, we're going to have a post up, to, um, well, this, this will be published on Friday. So it'll be on our website, rtl.org, kind of detailing all this. We don't have bill numbers in there because Genevieve... In the budget process, bill numbers don't really matter. It's like making sausage. <laughs> it truly is. A little bit here and a little bit there, and they'll shove it all together, and they'll create a new bill or add it to this or that or the next thing. So, yeah, you're right. We don't want to talk necessarily about budget bill numbers just yet. Right, and the House and Senate have to agree, yes. um, but you know, we know that they're going to – it's going to remain a priority. It's, it's fair to say the Senate isn't going to decide, ah, pro-life. Well, we certainly hope not. Certainly hope we not. We certainly hope not. So, yeah. If there is, then we'll, we can um, always have people contact their senators. But the governor, of course, is going to be the real challenge. But, you know, we can't not do things for fear that the governor will veto right. them. And I'll tell you, I will remind our listeners that 
a very courageous uh, appropriations chairman put in language in the budget, the supplemental budget for COVID funding that said, you have to disclose the use of fetal cell lines for these COVID vaccines. And it was in the budget, she signed it, it is now law, it is now in effect, and every EUA fact sheet that you receive for the Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson vaccines have a disclosure on the bottom. Which was a surprise. I was surprised, but see, you never, if you don't you try, you never succeed. That's right. Well, uh, anything else we... We covered the budget. I think pretty that, good for yeah, a summary. I think that's pretty good. It's yeah. a fluid process. Yes. So we'll keep you updated. Uh, Genevieve, who really hates pregnancy centers? Do you know? Well, I don't believe our our lovely governor cares too much for them, and neither no. does mo you know neither does the Democratic Party as a general rule. And again, we are nonpartisan, and there are some good pro life Democrats out there. Um, I wish we had more who would be vocally supportive, but unfortunately, that has not been the case in recent mm -hmm. years. Well, I know someone who really hates pregnancy centers, and that is Javier Becerra, who is our United States De Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services. Yes, yes. Got yes. himself into the news uh, this week. He was giving congressional testimony. He was asked a question about uh, the partial birth abortion ban, you know, whether or not he's going to enforce it and whatnot. And, of course, in his previous life, Becerra was the California Attorney General, who went after pregnancy centers. Yes. He's got a Supreme Court case named yes. after him where the Supreme Court said, no, you can't single out pregnancy centers for destruction, state of California. Yes. Um, so in response to this question, he did this game. Genevieve, I, hate, I really don't like when abortion supporters do it, but trying to pretend that partial birth abortion isn't real because partial birth abortion isn't in a medical term, Genevieve. Right. It's uh, intact, intact dilation and extraction. It's funny. They tried that with us with the dismemberment abortion uh, two years ago and tried to claim that our petition language was inaccurate and therefore should mm -hmm. be struck because it was not medically the medical term. Well, I had to remind them, of course, that the law says petition language needs to be what people understand, and layman's terms, so to speak, and everyone understands mm -hmm. what it means to be dismembered. Right. And to be partially born, partially born, and then killed, pretty self-explanatory, really. Yeah, what, what's more descriptive? You know, mm -hmm. when, when I think of intact dilation and extraction, I, I don't know what the heck that is. I, no one knows what that no, is, no. No, unless you're a doctor. Right. Um... So, and he just pretended like it's not a thing, so therefore he didn't really answer the question. Um, but it is a legitimate issue. Abortion, elected officials, uh, appointed officials who are pro-abortion, they don't enforce the law. They don't. You know, the Paycheck Protection Program said it was specifically written to stop Planned Parenthood from getting the money because they are a billion plus, $1.6 billion in revenue in the last year, in their annual report, they averaged $100 million of profit over the last 10 years, a billion total in the last 10 years. They are not a small business. Nope. President Biden gave them $10 million bucks. Yeah. And they Just cut, like that. Cut Illegal. The cut, cut the line. You know, uh, so if partial birth abortion, and partial birth abortions may happen because, Genevieve, in an abortion procedure in a late term doesn't always work according to textbook. Well, and as we saw from the undercover videos produced by the Center for Medical Progress, oftentimes less than scrupulous uh, mm -hmm. abortionists will alter the abortion techniques in order to get intact 
basically living tissue for experimental experiments. So it would not at all surprise me. And of course, we saw the Gosnell situation mm-hmm. where he was snipping the backs of the necks of fully formed, full-term babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I don't think there's going to be much enforcement under this particular administration. No. And, and you know, it, I think it's really interesting that they play this game because they understand the optics of it. They're stabbing a baby in the head. And sucking You can't defend up. it. And sucking its brain you can't up. You can't really defend that, to, except mm-hmm. for maybe, you know, 2% of the population is fine with that um, when they really think about it. But they have to hide it in euphemism. They have to pretend it doesn't exist. You know, and this gets filtered through the media into people where, you know, we have discussions with regular people and they think that partial birth abortion itself was a myth. Oh, that wasn't going on. Mm-hmm. You know, you call them out on it. Then when you do all that, you finally get them to kind of understand, yes, it was going on. Then they shift to the, oh, well, those children must have been dead anyway or they had disabilities. Do they play this game and they pretend like it doesn't exist and they pretend, you know, giving a different term for stabbing a baby that head makes it okay? Well, it's really interesting how uh, this is a tactic that we've seen used many times by uh, political operatives. If you can poo-poo it and pretend it doesn't exist, make the other side seem like they're crazy, um, you know, white, they're, they're, they're conspiracy theorists or whatever, you try and paint them like that. And it's a tactic that's used all the time. Um, in it fact, was used on you last it, week. It was used on us last week because, you know, vaccine <laughs> passports are basically equivalent to preemptively banning Bigfoot. Oh, yeah, no one's talking about oh, vaccine passports, no, no, no. Genevieve. That's crazy. There's no news articles and commentary no, and no. officials. No, no. It's, no, no, that's, a, no that's, but a, that's not a proposal anywhere. Oh, solution in search of a problem doesn't exist. Right, Genevieve. And, you know, human-animal hybrids and research, fetal farming. No. No one was talking about that in 2000, you know, when President Bush was trying to do something about it. No one was planning that. Right. That wasn't right. on anyone's agenda. Exactly. Yeah, so, no, no, But this no. is a tactic that is used to silence opposition and to shut you down and stop, have you stop talking about things that they they don't want the public to know about. So, yeah, Basira pulled, you know, the same trick out of the hat that all of them all use and pr- mm-hmm. tried to claim that partial birth abortions don't really exist, and they do, and we know it, right. unfortunately. Unfortunately. Well, to, to switch gears a little bit, um, so I was out in the morning, uh, you know, talking to the pregnancy centers, and I wanted to just hear about how, how's your center doing, are you over COVID and all that. And, um, you know, one kind of theme that kept getting brought up is, you know, we're all kind of waiting to see the 2020 abortion numbers and see what happened is a lot of them said, oh, we know the birth rate's down. Um, you know, this was a story that came out. Uh, the United States Census Bureau is starting to release statistics as they churn through reports. Um, and all, all the pregnancy centers are really aware of this, which I thought was interesting. But um, it is true that I think it was either this week or last week, the Census Bureau released data showing that uh, the uh, uh, total fertility rate in America, which is the average number of children per women, um, is down to an all-time low, just above 1.6. Wow, Chris. And, wow. Oh, what? yeah, you didn't see this story. No, yeah, it's down to 1.6. And wow. What's the replacement rate? It's, uh, it's 2.1, so, you know, two kids per family plus a tenth of a kid because right. life happens. Um, so, yeah, 1.6. I think it was 1.63. Um, some of that, of course, is the pandemic, which it was funny. Everyone was speculating there was going to be a baby boom. Because everyone's locked indoors and bored. Turns out that no, there's a giant baby bust 
it seems internationally, um, especially in China, they had their census data come out. They had their census data come out this week, and they're down really low, too. We can get to that in a second if we have time. But America's down to 1.63 you know, per woman, and that is, again, part of the, is, is the pandemic, but that is a continuing trend. Um, and the other shocking statistic was in 25 states in 2020, some of this is the pandemic, but there were more deaths than births. In half of the states of the union, that is that is terrifying, and it should it should make everybody um, nervous because there is a point of no return once that uh, b that uh, birth rate drops mm -hmm. below a certain percentage, and I forget what it is. Uh, no country's ever come back from that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know I'm I'll be interested uh, to see what the abortion numbers were, whether abortion mm -hmm. increased be during the pandemic, and that's what caused the lower birth rates. Or whether it was just people were freaked out, not going out, not 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 dating. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it was, why the birth rate's down. But um, the other thing, too, and this is something I want to point out, the baby boomers are getting to that age now where we are going to start seeing uh, increase in, death, in deaths mm -hmm. uh, in the United States simply because the baby boomers are all getting to that age mm -hmm. where this is going to be a thing. But if the birth rate continues to drop, we're, we're in serious trouble as a nation. And... I'm sort of encouraged that a, a lot of media sources no longer treat overpopulation as, you know, the doom of mankind. And some of them are actually picking up that on this demographic crisis and how this is bad because, Genevieve, most of our federal budget is tied up in entitlement funding. Um, a lot of people's budget and expenses are tied up in health insurance. Um, just regular general debt, um, you know, like mortgages and student loan debt that lasts for long term. It's the younger people who are paying the bills and keeping these things going and is generally the older, less healthy people who are taking the benefits. So when you add in, we're missing 60 million human beings because of abortion. Plus their children and grandchildren, right, Chris. Plus an extra wave yes. of children that would have otherwise been born and... Uh, the number of births is declining as well, and you add all that up, and we're missing, I don't know, 100 million? I mean, you could, if just, if it stayed at 2.1, um, we would be in a vastly different area. And now we're at the point where, you know, back, I remember in the 90s when everyone was worried about Social Security and Medicare and those dates when the trust funds, quote-unquote mm -hmm. trust funds, runs out, those seem like really big numbers, like 2025 and 2030. This is 2021. Yeah. Yeah. We're there. Well, it's interesting. One of the things that people don't realize that China quietly raised it from a one-child limit to a two-child limit, it's because they sat there and they looked at the numbers and they went, uh-oh, we're in trouble from a from a mm -hmm. dearth of, of babies. They realized that without human beings, without new babies, they're in trouble. So they have five five younger people for every older person. So they're in good shape. I don't know where we are and whether we're going to be able to bounce back from this this birth dearth. A birth dearth. Is that mm -hmm. a word? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, China's worse case than ours. They're yeah. at one point. So theirs was 1.3 now. But, yeah. And um, so I thought this was interesting. You know, some articles framed it as, oh, well, they didn't hit, they didn't hit prosperity before. There's like some sort of gamble, like we're going to have less children and hit prosperity. And then we're good. Uh, they didn't hit that. Now they're going to have this population decline. Um, but so they got rid of the one-child policy, Genevieve. And then births in China, I think it was about five years ago, went up one year. 
and then the fertility rate continues crashing. They spent, what, since 79, so they spent 40 years drumming it into their people's heads that people are bad. Yeah. And that the next generation is bad and overpopulation has to be stopped. Now they're trying to, now they're at the point of debating whether they pay people to have babies. Which we're seeing in some European countries because yep. they've begun to figure it out. And yet, and yet we here in America are still uh, banging the drum about, what did I just read? That the children are, something about climate change that they're, oh God, what was the word that they used? I can't even remember what it was. It was just horrifying. But that essentially that children are very detrimental to the environment and therefore children are bad. And they don't realize that without children, the you know, population right. decreases and then dies off. And that's what happens. Right. And, and all these countries trying to bribe people, they can get, you know, little short-term increases in fertility, but it's not working. It's not working. And fertility everywhere in the globe is crashing. I think Africa is the only place that's, I mean, even India is down to 2.1. And well, India is a giant country. Chris, when you when you Middle East down is down to down like two point one Egypt yeah. and Saudi Arabia. But we've told people for nearly yep. fifty years that it's okay. You demonize the unborn child. Mm -hmm. You demonize the child. You said it's okay to kill them. In fact, you 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 celebrated it and you paid abortion clinics in the form of tax dollars to kill off our our children. In China, you force people to and, do it. In China, you force people to do it. And in fact, even in the United States, we had to pass the course of abortion prevention right. law because we knew women were being coerced into abortion. When you have fifty, almost fifty years of that narrative being beaten into people's heads, it's no wonder why we are where we are. And it's it's a sad travesty. And I. You know, I really applaud our pro-life people for really sticking to this idea that human beings are valuable, 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 and they deserve to be protected from conception to natural death. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, that's all the time we have for this edition of Life Beat. Join us again next week. Hope you have a wonderful weekend.